Good morning. Let me offer a few announcements before we begin our worship together. Reminder that Vacation Bible School starts this evening at 6 o'clock. And also a reminder that the annual conference begins this afternoon at 5 o'clock in Florence at Florence Civic Center. I hope that you remember to uh, pray for all the pastors and delegates from all the churches in South Carolina that will be gathering there this week uh, as we conduct the business of the conference and have several services, uh, among them the service of remembrance for all those who passed away in the past year, uh, service of ordination where we ordain our, our new clergy, and a service of retirement uh, and various other services. So if you were, hope you remember me my, and our delegates and all uh, those around this, the conference uh, who began today their work. At the uh, 9 o'clock service, we recognized our graduates. You'll see their names listed in the bulletin. And we congratulate them again. And um, Leanna, is Leanna in here? Now? Yes, there you are. Come on up. Huh? Leanna has an announcement. Uh, Leanna is getting ready to go as to, is it Nambia? Nambia in West Africa. Go, go ahead. Good morning. As many of y'all know, I'm, in July I will be traveling with Samaritan's Purse shoebox distribution team to Nambia, Africa. It's right above South Africa on the west side. So, in spite of that, I will be doing a shoebox drive in the back. It's called Christmas in July, and my shoeboxes will not be traveling with me, but when I return, the youth group and I will be going to Boone to deliver them. My goal is 100 boxes, and I gave out a, a good many in the early service this morning, so I'm hoping to give out a few today. Um, let's see. There's also prayer chains in the back that Paige made. So if you would like to pray with me and my group as we travel, you can pick one of those up. And there's a donation jar for any financial support for my family and I. It would be grace, greatly appreciated. Thank you. July 15th is when I leave. July 15th. Okay. If you could have your shoeboxes back by July 12th, that would be wonderful. Okay. I don't know if y'all realize what a great, that's a big honor and she's getting to go as a representative of Samaritan's Purse uh, to Africa in our name. So. We, we will be praying for you, Leanna, and wish you well and your family. Uh, let's see, what was the last thing? One other thing, beginning on the, um, I think it's next Saturday, if I have my dates right, we'll be sending a group of uh, young people and adults to Sockahatchee Summer Camp, something we haven't done in many years, but we will be doing it this year. And so uh, hopefully there'll be something about that in the bulletin so you'll know who to be praying for. Uh, when they begin, I think they begin that camp next Saturday. All right, let's begin our worship together.
The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. That as the scriptures are read, your word proclaimed, and we partake of the holy mystery. May we hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Let's stand and sing. affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. <clears throat> Thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Amen.
be seated. Let our children come forth for children's time. everybody. This morning we're going to talk about family. Have you ever been to a family reunion? You have? Okay, so tell us about it, Sarah. What goes on at a family reunion? Okay, you have food. You got to have food. Yes, that's what I was looking for. The most important part of a family reunion and why people have them is that you, so that you can talk in person. Maybe you don't live close to a lot of your family and it's hard to keep up that way sometimes. Yes, we can talk on the phone or we can email, but it's not the same as being there in person. So a lot of times families will have reunions to get everyone together in the same state, in the same town at the same time. So you might share some good food, but the most important thing is you get to visit and talk in person. So we should never overlook how important our family is. In the very first book of the Bible, God established the family. He created Adam and Eve. He blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. God intended for family members to be there to care for one another in times of need. So family is there to help us when we're sick, when we're sad, when we're lonely. And when we're young, our parents and grandparents help look after us, right? And as our parents and grandparents get older, we may have to help look after them. And so that's what family is all about. And we might not realize it or think about it all the time, but when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a part of another family. What family do we become a part of when we decide to follow Jesus? That's right. We're part of God's family. So in our Bible reading today, Jesus looked at a group of people seated around him and he said, See, my mother and my brothers, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become a part of a family of believers. It's the church. So just as members of our earthly family have a responsibility to love and care for one another, we have that same responsibility for our church family. So what are some ways that we can take care of all these people out here? And how can they take care of us? Okay. That's a great idea. We can give them food, maybe when they're sick or when they're sad. We can help to take care of them if they're not feeling well. And what else did you say? Did I cover it all? We can pray for them. Do we say that? Okay. So we can pray for them. We can feed them. We can give clothing to someone who may needs it. We can help shelter the homeless. We can comfort those who may be sad. And we can be a friend to those who may not have a friend. So family is important, both our earthly family and our spiritual family, and we never want to take them for granted. We all say our closing prayer with me this morning? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our families. We thank you for our grandparents, our mothers and fathers, and our brothers and sisters. And we also thank you for our church family. Help us to love and care for one another as you have taught us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Scripture is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 145. 
David is the author of this book, and this is a psalm of praise. Let us hear now verses 8 through 13 of Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all the people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The word of God for the people of God.
Let us bow our heads in prayer. O Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. All people of the earth who know you, O Lord, sing your praises. For the words of your mouth bring healing and strength to us. And we, your children, have come here before you to give thanks to you for your steadfast love and faithfulness throughout all generations. We are reminded this day that in every place and time you have provided for our needs. Your wisdom is great and you care for us in ways that are best for us. But we must confess that we forget easily that your ways are for our benefit. Instead, we have become a people who demand to have our own way and then we complain at the consequences. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for our stubbornness. Forgive us for our selfish demands. Forgive us our lack of faith. Redeem our sin and make us your own once more. You have called us to be filled with a spirit of faith that we might more boldly proclaim the good news of your presence. Inspire and fill us with your Holy Spirit and that your word may live in our witness. Help us this day, O oh Lord, for we need help. We're reminded this day that there are many whom you love and we love that are in our hearts and our minds and we lift them up to you, O oh God, this day. We pray that you'd bring healing to those who are struggling in their spirits. Make whole those whose bodies are wasting away. Give all of them a mind to praise you, Lord. You are indeed the Lord of all. We seek to do your will and to live truly as your children. Help us to accept your good and perfect will as we know you hear our prayers. We pray these things, O oh Lord, in the name of Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward.
Jesus often stretched his hearers in new ways, in new transformational ways, and it's not surprising then that his words often elicited a negative response, sometimes outright opposition. And I would just simply say to you to keep an open mind when you hear the Lord say these words, because this scripture challenges us with this story about a man with two sons. I'm reading from Matthew 21. Uh, verse 28 through 32 Jesus said what do you think there was a man who had two sons he went to the first and said son go and work today in the vineyard the son answered I will not but later he changed his mind and he went then the father went to the other son and said the same thing and he answered I will sir but then he did not go. Jesus said, which of the two did what his father, father wanted? Now the people there, the crowd that day, they answered the first. And then Jesus said this, which is the therefore to it, the conclusion. I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, oftentimes your words are difficult for us to hear and to understand. We pray, oh, Lord, that your spirit would enlighten us and help us to see in our time. Amen. Now, there's a couple really quick points that I think you can see by studying this scripture that I want to share with you first. And is, first is this, is that the father, when he goes to the sons, he tells both sons exactly the same thing. So the sons begin from a position of equality. They, they begin from a position of father's acceptance because each one was given equally the gift of this message, the same message. So one of the first things that we can learn from this scripture is that the message that God gives to us, that God gives to the world, is a universal message. John 12, 32 records these words of Jesus. Behold, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. The message is this. God has created the world, and through Christ's death, the world has been redeemed. And therefore, we have been given new commands that sum up the old ones, that we are to love God and one another and work and live together as God directs 
in this great vineyard called earth, the message God gives to us is universal. It is for all people. Now the reaction of the two sons, I think, to the message from the father uh, is also uh, instructive. One son hears and says, no thanks, I will not go and work. But later, he changes his mind and goes. The other son hears the same invitation and says, yes, I will go, Father, and work. But later, he changes his mind and he does not go. So you can see that both are disobedient in a way. And so I think we can learn this other quick lesson, and that is this, and it's recorded for us in Romans 3.22, this righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, for there is no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's another universal statement that we can make about God's interaction with us. Now I think before we go much further, it's probably important to say, who was Jesus talking to that day? Who heard Him? Who were these people who seemed to know the answer that He was asking? Well, in the reading of the text before and after, you will see that this teaching occurred a day or so after Jesus' entry into the city of Jerusalem. And the location of the story is the steps of the temple, the chief place of worship. It would be as if it was on a busy day and people were passing by our church and some were coming in to worship and some were going on and Jesus was standing on the steps making this story for people to hear. And verse 23 goes on and is a little more specific and says that the chief priest and the elders were gathered there with the people to hear what Jesus had to say. And so you could say that Jesus' listeners could be described as both religious and non-religious, very much like a gathering of any people today, anywhere, in any venue. And so to this mixed bag of people, we have this question that says, which son did as the father wanted? And almost in unison, you can hear them cry out. Both the religious and the non-religious say, the first son, the one who said he wouldn't, but did. And so I think we learn another quick lesson. And it's recorded for us again in Romans 1.20 where it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Or as Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. So God's message is clear and understandable to both religious and non-religious, to both church people and those outside the church. So let's recap real quick these three quick lessons. One, God's message is universal. It is in for all people and it should be shared with all peoples. God's message is to people who are not worthy to receive it, that's us, and everyone else for all have sinned. And God's message is clear and understandable to both the religious and non-religious, to both the church people who's outside the church. So the question comes is this, why would Jesus ask such a question that everyone, both religious and non-religious, can answer so easily? And I believe this is part of the lesson the Lord wants us to hear in this scripture. The right answer is not as important as the right response. In other words, this parable is about a contrast of a life of good words, but empty of good works, or vice versa. This parable is about God's invitation to all people and our believing or unbelieving response to it. In every situation, there is only one way to answer God, and that is either believing or non-believing response. 
And so what we have here is Jesus reminding the hearers and us today that we have been invited to become sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven even before we ever acted as such, especially knowing that our very nature is disobedience. We've been invited. The message has been shared with us equally. We are all fall short and are sinful. We all of us do not deserve this invitation. And yet the invitation comes to us, religious and non-religious alike. One of the things that I think every so often we need to remind ourselves as believers is that what and who we trust reveals what we truly believe. And what we truly believe will result in how we finally act. If, you, if a person believes only in their own judgment and understanding, then that person will trust no one but themselves. And they will act accordingly. And so it's important that this parable that at first glance is a parable of grace, it's also a parable of judgment. Why? I'll answer this question. On which of these two sons would judgment fall? He asked first, which of the two sons did the will of the Father? And now the text basically asks us, which of these two sons would judgment fall? And of course the answer is the second one. Why? Because he did not do the will of the Father. And what then is the Father's will? That's a question that gets asked a lot, I think. Well, I think the best place is to turn to the Scripture and quote Jesus Himself in John 6.40 that says this, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees me standing, speaking, living, dying, rising, ever present, who sees me and believes in me will have everlasting life and I will raise them up at the last day. So you see, this parable of grace becomes also a parable of judgment. The point is this, that judgment falls on unfaith. Judgment falls on unfaith alone. Now listen to me. It's not that the tax collectors and the harlots are going into the kingdom because they straightened up and flew right. It is that they are being saved because they have believed. They have had faith in the promise. It is not that the good sons have all of a sudden descended into bad behavior, that they will not go into the kingdom. It's because they have refused to believe in the Father's grace. And this is repeated in Scripture in so many different ways. Just too briefly, think about the actions of the older brother versus the prodigal son who would not accept the Father's grace. Think about the workers who had worked all day and complained about the generosity of the landowner at the end of the day when, when they were paid. It's important to understand that judgment falls on unfaith. If your heart is strangely warmed by God's amazing grace in your life, you will exhibit grace, grateful behavior. You won't worry too much about who God sends his grace too. You will be more worried about showing gratitude to the grace that you've been, that you've received. And some of the ways that you show this grace is through things like your presence to God uh, in worship, in Bible study, in prayers, in service to God's people, in support of Christ's church. These actions are just some of the ways that we authenticate our words that we do believe and we do do the will of the Father and we desire to do it. Behavior and the final analysis our behavior exhibits our faithful trust in God's grace not just to save myself not just to save you but to save others even worse off than we are. Sinful nature and all. 
And one can reasonably argue, as did Jesus, that if you believe this, you will exhibit gratitude in your actions, and this, thus you will be doing the will of the Father. You will be doing the will of the Father. And, it does, and if you're doing the will of the Father, it matters not what the world labels you, because you're doing the will of the Father, and you have faith, and on faith, grace will be shown, and on unfaith, judgment will fall. I think it's important for us every so often to hear this. This is why I picked this subject as one of my last sermons to you. Because those who said they would accept God's invitation, but did not. Because they said they would, but they didn't. Judgment falls upon them. And Jesus said, gives the example that the sinners, in other words, the ones you think are more sinful than you, are entering the, God, entering the kingdom of God ahead of you because the sinners understand something that you don't. The sinners understand that they're sinful. And they have believed in their heart the messenger and the message of grace for faith. And so the biggest thing that we could ever do is to recognize in ourselves our sinfulness, our weakness, our lack of ability to do what's right without God's help. You see, those sinners did not erect walls of exclusion because they understood already what exclusion meant because they themselves had been excluded from this salvation until Jesus came and preached to them and she told the world that this message is for all. When human beings set themselves up as judges over and above God to clean up the world by ridding it of undesirable elements not, and not waiting for God to act at the final judgment, that is the definition, in my opinion, of exclusion. It is the idea that job, the job is too big for God. We look around and we see and say, the God, job, God's just not up to this. So we're going to have to help Him out. And this was taken to the extreme uh, in our history in the last century. Nazi Germany began the cleansing effort to help God out. It started with the undesirables, the mentally ill, the handicapped, those in old age homes, gypsies, homosexuals, children with disability. These people were rounded up, taken to concentration camps, and were killed just as many as there were Jews. We all know about the, the Holocaust, but so many times we forget these others. Setting ourselves up to clean up the world because God's just not big enough for the job this is one of the things that has haunted us as human beings throughout our existence. But the scriptures are clear. We, we either agree or we don't agree. We either believe or we don't believe. But Jesus holds up as example the sinners who have believed that that grace was for them too. Now listen to me one more time. Jesus does not hold up these examples because of their behavior, but because they understood the difference and danger in letting exclusion trump God's grace. They understood that grace is God's gift to the world. It's God's love and mercy extended to us through and in Jesus Christ. It's an undeserved invitation to an undeserved people, but it's God's prerogative and God's right to extend it, just like it's God was God's prerogative and light and right to save a family in the flood. 
to repopulate the earth. It's God's prerogative and right. Even in the final and last day, the Scripture says there will be a remnant preserved by God. It's God's right and prerogative to extend His favorable grace to an undeserving people, to undeserving per people, undeserving persons, just like us. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful. I am so grateful that the Lord looks upon me and sees Jesus' sacrifice, not my sin. And I believe that people who truly understand this will have a desire to constantly show their gratitude to this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe if we reject this invitation that is extended by God through Jesus to trust and to believe in God's wonderful grace, to have faith and to share and to show mercy and gratitude, I believe that if we don't do that, if we reject it, then I believe judgment will fall upon our unfaith too. And so let me just conclude with these words. There are always two different reactions or two different choices, if you will, by all the sons and daughters under the sun that represent all possible actions we could ever take in response to God's invitation. And so today, I believe, even today, this strange parable is very relevant. There was a man who had two sons. And Jesus asked the crowd that day, both religious and non-religious, standing equal, standing before the Creator. And Jesus says, which one? Which one will you be? I pray and hope that I and you will always make the right decision as we live under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
always know the blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Almighty, Eternal, Triune God, one God, now and forevermore. Amen.